Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Would you love someone who threatened you with imminent death if you didn't love him or her in return? Well, Christians do it all the time. Here to explain how the love me or I'll kill you mentality took root in the Old Testament is Dr. Tim Jennings via Skype. Dr. Jennings, tell us what we need to know. One of the things that people really get confused about is they read the Old Testament stories and they see stories like the flood or Sodom and other places. And then they conclude that God is the source of pain, suffering, inflicted torment, killing, and so forth. And and this happens because of failure to understand context, what's actually transpiring, and they misinterpret actions that are occurring. Let's give you a quick metaphor. Let's say we were on an ancient battlefield. You and I were watching an ancient battlefield, and there were people, there were swords and spears, and they were killing each other, and arms and legs were being lopped off. And it was just a terrible thing to see. But we also happened to see some uh, medical personnel out there on that same battlefield trying to save lives. And, and some of those people, they didn't have anesthesia, would be being held down and screaming while somebody was taking a, a saw or a, or a knife and cutting off a leg, amputating a leg to save a life or doing some surgical incision in the abdomen in order to stop bleeding. But as we observe, it appears that both are using sharp weapons to cut off limbs and inflict pain. Yeah. It could appear very similar if you don't actually understand what's transpiring and who's trying to achieve what. And so the first question you have to really, or foundation you have to build, is to understand the context of what's happening on planet Earth. God created human beings to live eternally. That's his design in Eden. No pain, no disease, no death. Eternal happiness, health, and life. What happened? They deviated from God's design and changed the condition of themselves to be out of harmony with how God built life to operate. Thus, they became terminal. The Bible says dead in trespass and sin. But you could think of it just that humanity has now a terminal condition. And this terminal condition causes genetic defects, causes changes to animal life, uh, causes uh, uh, changes to our character. Instead of being loving and kind, we become selfish and exploitive. And in the first generation, you see Cain killing Abel. And Paul writes that all nature groans under the weight of this infection. So the human species after sin is dying. It's dying. Mm -hmm. And unless God acts, if God doesn't do anything, just sits back and does nothing, the human race will become extinct. And so in Genesis 3, God says to the serpent who caused this infection of sin that the descendant or seed of the woman is going to crush your head and and you'll bruise his heel. A, A Messiah is promised to bring healing, to save, to prevent the extermination and eradication of the human species. And so the landscape of the Old Testament is a battle between the forces of God working to bring the Messiah and the forces of Satan working to stop God's plan from ever being realized. And very early, Genesis 6, what do we discover? With six chapters into the Bible, after the fall of mankind, it says that the earth was violence and violence all the time, and there was only one righteous man left on the earth. And so the story is is being depicted to us that there came a point in human history when there was only one man in his family still willing to work with God. Mm. Now, this is important to understand the, the larger plan. The human race is going to die without the Messiah. If Satan can get every human heart to harden against God and no one work with him, there's no avenue for which Messiah to come. God will not force a woman against her will to be the mother of Jesus. He will not have a corrupt and evil person like Jezebel be the mother of Jesus. He needs a righteous, willing woman to be the mother of Jesus, or else the human race is lost. Mm -hmm. And at one point in human history, here we have it, only one righteous man and his family. 
So first reason why God acts here is not to punish, not to kill, not to destroy, not to harm, but to keep open the avenue for Messiah in order to save the human species and every individual who would like to participate in that plan. It's a beautiful thing. I like what you added there. You said, in every individual who wants to participate. Are you saying that perhaps the plans for the ark went to more than just one person? Yes. Uh, Noah preached for 120 years right. to the entire uh, known world at his time, inviting them to be participants in the ark, but none came okay. aboard. And so, yes, they were invited to the ark. But but the first thing we have to understand, to understand Old Testament activities of God, is that there is a war being fought for the saving of the entire race. And if Jesus doesn't come to earth, the whole race is lost. Okay. That's number one. Number two, there's another idea that's deeply misunderstood across the landscape of entire Christianity— and that's what death is. In the Bible, there is a human definition of death, and there's a God definition of death. And they get confused and conflated, meaning merged and treated as the same constantly, but they're not. Jesus said, if you remember, that those who believe in him will never die. Mm. What happened to Stephen? What happened to all the apostles? What happened, did they? See, this is how we conflate the terms. The human definition of death is what we call death. It's what we've all dealt with when we've gone to a funeral. It's what we grieve when a loved one, quote, dies. But this is not God's definition of death. Ah, okay. All those people did die what we call death, but Jesus said they're never going to die. And the Bible also refers to that death as the first death. Or the Bible refers to that death in many places as a sleep. I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope about those who've fallen asleep, Paul says. Jesus said, Lazarus is asleep. I need to go wake him up. Okay, he was talking about that first death experience. What we call death, God does not call death. Maybe the easiest way for people to conceptualize this would be if you think about a computer and you have all your information backed up on a cloud and someone destroys the machine. You could say they've just killed my machine. But if you have all the data on a cloud, you just get a new machine and you download it and you've resurrected it. Okay. Your information is not dead. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who can destroy the body, the machine, but can't destroy the soul, which in the Greek is psyche, which is the software, which is the information. So what we call death, God doesn't call death. What God calls death is described in Revelation 20 and other places is called the second death. It's the death in which not only the hardware, the body dies, but the software is eradicated. It's what's called annihilation, and that is the wages of sin. And so if you understand the difference between those two, there is a difference between putting someone to sleep under anesthesia and waking them up and killing them. They're not the same. Right. And so in Old Testament times, God has killed no one. But I believe there are multiple places where he's put people to sleep. The wages of sin is death, not sleep in the grave. The righteous who believe in Christ will never die, i.e. the wages of sin, but many of them sleep in the grave and will be resurrected. And if we can't make that distinction, then we confuse the Old Testament and we see God killing, but he doesn't kill. He's not the source of death. The wages of sin is death. Sin, when full grown, brings forth death. So God is not the source of death and he doesn't kill, but he does sometimes put people in the grave. Now, why would he do that? What would be the reason? I would say that he wants somehow to protect them. That's the only way I can think of. Beautiful. First, we already gave one reason. If he doesn't put some in the grave to sleep at the time of the flood, 
If he doesn't do that at that moment, then the avenue through which Messiah is going to come is about to close, and he loses all of us. So he puts some to sleep in the grave, but they will be resurrected in one of two resurrections. Their life is not over. They will continue their existence at some point in the future, and the Bible describes in Revelation at the end of the thousand years that the wicked dead are raised, and they built weapons of war, and they go and attack the city, demonstrating they're continuing their life in rebellion against God for a period of time. So their life is not over. It's just paused. So God just pauses, puts puts them in what I call sleep mode. It's like putting your computer in sleep mode. Right. Nothing's really happening. Yeah. And if we can't understand that, we will then blame God as the source of death. And so on the one side, then people look at Old Testament stories and say, God will kill you if you don't do what he says, which is, is not true. The other side is that some will say, well, God never kills. He's a source of life. And then they will say, well, God never kills. All those stories are where God just allows things to happen, and he just doesn't actively take any participant role. And that also is not true. And I think the flood, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the firstborn of Egypt, Kordath and Abiram, the 185,000 Assyrians, the platoons that came to arrest Elijah, Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. These are all clearly acts that God was taking, but he is not killing. He is putting people to sleep. But I'd like to unpack the flood just a little bit further. Some people email me and say, well, wait a second. Why would God do this in the most torturous way? Somebody emailed and said, why would he roast people alive in Sodom and Gomorrah? That seems cruel. And, and well, do you see that question introduces a false idea? According to what the Bible describes, Sodom was hit with a fire so intense that the buildings were were destroyed. Mm-hmm. This is not a a slow roasting of torture. This was vaporization, and it would be like being at the epicenter of a nuclear explosion. It was instantaneous, and there was no pain involved at all. So when we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, it was quite merciful and just completely just like throwing a switch on your computer, just shut them down. Put them to sleep. They'll rise again at some point. What about the flood, though? The flood wasn't instantaneous. This was a terrorizing event. Why would God allow this? Why would he do it in this way? Well, because God wants to give everyone every opportunity for eternal salvation. And so think if you're one of those people living before the flood and you've heard Noah preach for 120 years about the truth about God and you've rejected that truth and you think he's a crackpot and he's a nutcase and they've never seen rain before. And now the rain comes and it's going to be, oh, days at least as the the floods overtake the earth. And there's a period of time in which people are frightened, but evidence is being demonstrated and it gives people an opportunity to repent. Hmm. Hmm. Whether they take it or don't take it isn't the point. And I'm not saying anyone did take it. I'm saying, do we believe God is a God of love who would give everyone every opportunity to repent? And if you think, well, that's kind of silly, nobody's going to repent in that circumstance, think about the thief on the cross. Yeah. Thief on the cross is living a rebellious life, and he finds himself in a situation where death is imminent, and there's no escape from death for him. Did it bring him to reflect on his life and repent? And even though after his repentance, he didn't have any more time on this earth to live a godly life, he now has eternal life. I think that part of the reason for the flood the way it was, was not only keep open avenue for Messiah, but to give those antediluvians an opportunity to see the evidence that Noah spoke the truth and give them an opportunity to repent. And one other reason, God wanted to act in a way to prevent such a rapid rebelliousness into complete anarchy and hardening against God. And so he brought a flood that changed the environment Hmm. because what does idleness do? What happens to people who everything is given to them and they have to work for nothing? 
It doesn't develop character. It corrupts character. And the earth in its Eden-like state prior to the flood did not require hardly any work from anybody to do anything. And thus they devolved into gross rebellion very quickly. Changing the environment the way God did required more work just to have food and clothing and housing. And thus it led to useful labor, which protected and slowed the corruption of human character. And it shortened human lifespan so that the really evil people could not negatively affect as many generations. Both acts of mercy to keep open avenue for Messiah and slow the progression of sin. All right, two minutes left on the program. Connect these dots for me, Dr. Jennings. You said that God did not put the people at the flood. They didn't die. They were put to sleep. Are you saying that all the people in the flood, all the people of Son of Gomorrah that were killed will be raised in the resurrection? That's what the Bible says. There's a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of damnation. There are two resurrections coming, and the righteous at the beginning of the thousand years and the wicked at the end of the thousand years. And so, yes, everyone will be raised in one of two resurrections. All right, all right, all right. We should do a program on that, too, the two resurrections. I think that's an excellent thing. But now I understand what you're saying, that that the pause button was used there for those, both sinner and saint, and that we'll become unpaused. And when we become unpaused is kind of critical to uh, that second death that's coming. Am I in the right track saying that? Yes. And if you can't make the distinction between first and second death, then you will confuse the two and you'll see God as the source of death. God is not the source of death. God is the source of life. Death comes from sin. Sin, when full grown, brings forth death, James chapter 1. Those who sow to the carnal nature, from that nature reap destruction. But the second death is the annihilation and destruction of the entire person. It's not just a pause where one is asleep for a little bit of time and then awakened again. I think that's very encouraging for us to think that, and I really appreciate you clarifying that for us today. And listener, if you'd like more clarification on this and other topics, there is a website, comeandreason.com. I invite you to visit there. You can listen to these radio programs and these podcasts. You can look at Dr. Jennings' television programs. You can get copies of his books, read his blogs. We need to rethink. I think that's the way I would say uh, when I talk to Dr. Jennings and when I go to his website, we need to start rethinking our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship to this world and eternity, and how to do that is all presented so beautifully at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Always good, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.